The Lord has given us a beautiful day, and it is a blessing to be here in the presence of God and worshiping uh, his holy name. We'll tell you, Leona Schramm passed away last night, 94 years of age, and uh, she had, uh, I believe it was from complications with the COVID, and uh, this is Ron Wyman's aunt, and uh, so uh, obviously being prayer for um, many, uh, I'm sure, uh, certainly those that have been here for many years and served here, they obviously know uh, who Leona is, and uh, and so we just pray for, on her behalf and the half, uh, behalf of the family as well. So uh, always much to be in prayer about. I ask that you turn your attention to uh, the handout, the sermon handout this morning, and uh, I, I like that statement that was just read in the scripture, uh, and this statement that when he says, this is the way the world, this is the way the world acts concerning authority and leadership. But he said, it's not that way among you. It's not that way among you. So this morning with the middle school, high school kids, having some good fun with all of them this morning. But I asked him, I said, I want you to fill in this blank. And I had some great answers and some insight into their uh, families, which is good. Um, they, I said, fill in this blank. I need you to be what? Anybody. So your mom and dad. So uh, Shelly, in fact, I used you, and I used all the moms and Don, and just Hannah, I used you. And I said, so fill in the blank. Your mom says to you, I need you to be, and their answers were really good. And uh, they were very insightful. I need you to be. Then I asked them, okay, what would you say to one of your siblings? And then it really got good. I'm not going to share those, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of love in these uh, brothers and sisters here, and uh, it's okay. The brothers, well, the younger fountain kids were not there to defend themselves, but that's okay. The other brothers and sisters, Grace and Zane and Colton, and they defended themselves quite well. But uh, uh, yeah, so I need you to be, yeah, okay, and they filled in the blank. And then I ask them, okay, so like it could be anybody, your teachers, your mom, your dad, or something you might say to somebody, I wish you were. And so they did that. And then it came down to this question and they were very, um, they were just, it was a blessing to be with them this morning, but I said, so, okay, so God is speaking to you. God, our father in heaven is speaking to you. And, and he would say to you, I need you to be fill in the blank. And their answers were great. They really were. Um, I need you to be more respectful. I need you to be more of a helper. I need you to be more patient. I need you to pray more. It was just great. They were thoughtful. And they really made applications to their personal life. They weren't just randomly saying this to you know, fill in the blank. Um, and, and then I said, okay, so this is the list. Of understanding and patience and prayerful and... Uh, better helper and all those good things, more understanding. But so what would that kind of person, so you could say within that kind of person, what would you call that person? Like you said, well, I need you to, God said, I need you to be a quarterback. Well, well, maybe you need to be more prayerful and helpful and understanding. Yeah, you could do that or, or somebody, anything, but give that person if God's speaking to you, give that person a title. And, and it really would be this. This is what God would say to you and I. 
surely he'd want us to be more prayerful and patient and understanding and helpful. And, but if he had to give it a title, he would say to you and I, I, want, I need you to be a servant. I need you to be a servant. But we're going to talk about the word that he would use for servant right out of the pages of Scripture. So in our handout, we've been talking about the will of God. Our single biggest source of every conflict that we ever have in our life is our will, our desire versus God's will and his desire. Every one of us. That's the culmination. It's, you could just, if you were, if you could examine yourself, the circumstances of your life, the events of your life, when we get into conflicts, it's usually because, especially if it's an issue of pride or selfishness or sin, it, our personal desires it's our will and our desire versus the will and the desire of God. Jesus would say, I came to do my Father's will. He taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be done. He prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup from me, however, not my will, but your will be done. And he just taught his disciples. He said, you want to be great? You want to be first? He said, you need to know something. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. So I want us to just look at Ephesians. Ephesians and uh, in this next step about um, the scriptural, spiritual application of, of the statements that lead and teach you and I to be a person that does the will of God, even in our flesh, even though it's hard, the scriptural and spiritual application of that. And in Ephesians, uh, in chapter 5, um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to drop all the way. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to start? Okay. Um, I had finished last week with this statement out of the fifth chapter. Um, really focusing on verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And then uh, verse 16, making the most of your days because the days are evil. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So those were those three points, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, making the most of your days because the days are evil. And then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we'll just... Uh, continue from verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now that word uh, subject has to do with submission. If, if, you, if, you do the, if you do all the defining work in the Greek on that word, this, it, it, be subject. Uh, but So if we struggle with that, what it clearly meant to first century Christians was this, that you submit to one another. What does it mean to submit to one another? Of all the people in the world that should be able to answer that question without hesitation, it should be Christians. 
if you believe in spiritual warfare, and Paul's made a statement to the Ephesians about spiritual warfare, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle taking place in the heavenly places. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. Paul spends a good portion of this letter talking about formal li former lifestyles, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, desiring earthly things. And he says, you can't live that way if you're a Christian. That's, you can't live that way. You have to live another way. And as he goes through the letter, one of the things that he says, as we're trying to please the Lord, as we're making the most of our days because they're evil, and we're trying to understand what the will of God is, moving forward, he says, here's some things, and the reality is this, you and I are to be in submission to one another in the fear of Christ. In the fear of Christ. And that literally means in the fear of Christ. I think we preach and teach about a lot of things. I think we miss a great deal of what scripture teaches when we don't talk about the fear of Christ. These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it says, you are and I am and we are to be subject. We're supposed to be in submission to one another in the fear of Christ. If we really put that in its proper application, something happens. If I say that I love the Lord, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So we, we love him, and we love him because he first loved us. That's what the scripture teaches. You can only love God because he loved us first. He did that through Christ, his son. And then you and I are supposed to live in such a way that we have such a, a, a fear and a respect for God that you can see it, and the, the way that you see it, and it should be seen in the body of Christ and to a lost world, is these people are submitting themselves to one another. They're in subject to one another. Paul says that we're going to look in Philippians in chapter 2 in just a minute. He says that you and I are supposed to regard one another as more important than ourselves. The single biggest pandemic in the body of Christ for 2,000 years is that the body of Christ has not lived that way. We have lived a certain way. And we have had great examples of people who have lived this way. But if you look at 2,000 years of turmoil in the body of Christ, it, 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 it will always not have something to do with this. If you've got this going on in your church, in the body of Christ, all the things that have divided the body of Christ, all the things where conflict have come in the body of Christ, Jesus addressing the seven churches in Asia Minor, all the epistles that were written, the Corinthians weren't living in subjection to one another. The, the, the Corinthians were not trying to find what was pleasing to the Lord, making the most of their days because they were evil, trying to understand what the will of God was. Read what Paul had to address in their lives. They were not living in subjection to one another out of the fear of Christ. The, it, none of them were. Every church that Paul wrote a letter, there was some dynamic at play, and the dynamic that wasn't in play was people being in subjection to one another in the fear of Christ. People that sing hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with, the, uh, to, with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's good. You can come to church and you can sing the hymns and speak the name of Christ and make melody, and, but if you're not in subject to one another, it's just meaningless. 
It's rote. It's a function, usually meant to please ourselves and not please him. Because if indeed it's going to please him, there is going to be a healthy, monumental, boatload, truckload of submission to one another in the fear of Christ. Then he goes on and he paints this wonderful imagery about, uh, you know, he tells us to be subject in, sub in submission to one another. And then in verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as the Lord. And he goes and husbands, you're supposed to love your uh, wife as Christ loved the church. And, and all this great admonition, this imagery, this picture, children obeying their parents. But the bookend of that, and by the way, Peter would go on to say that husbands and wives are supposed to be in submission to one another. He'd already set the precedence. We're supposed to be subject and in submission to one another as Christians, and you ought to be able to see it in every dynamic of your life. In your marriage, in your family, in, in, it doesn't matter. As somebody who employs somebody, somebody who works for somebody, and then the way he bookends this is a statement about slaves. So if you keep reading in that sixth chapter now, as he talks and he describes submission to one another in the fear of the Lord, uh, he ends this section in verse 5. Slaves. Slaves. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling in the sincerity um, of your heart. We're supposed to be making melody in our heart and we're supposed to be subjection and submission to one another in the fear of Christ. And then slaves, be obedient uh, to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, doing the will of God from the heart. Go to Philippians chapter 2. So he designates, be in submission to one another, wives submit yourself to your husbands, um, husbands love your wife the way Christ loved the church, children obey your parents, masters you know, they have a responsibility. Slaves have a responsibility. So, as a Christian, again, what would God say to you? Christian, I need you to be what? I wish you were what? Second chapter of Philippians. Verse 1. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, encouragement, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and compassion, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So if you're a Christian, 
I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the Zion Church Garden. Or I'm, you know, a member of this church. Or I'm a Christian. I was confirmed on this day. I was baptized on this day. I was raised in this church. Whatever it is. Whatever standard. I'm a Christian exclamation point description. Statements of validity. And so Paul puts it in the realm of encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and compassion, and joy, complete joy. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And here it is. So, you know, God says, I need you to be a slave. I need you to be a servant, like my son. He didn't come to be uh, served, he came to serve. And if you don't know how that is, here's how it is. This is, this is slave. This is Bible, Genesis through Revelation slave. This is the description, this is the reality of what Paul just said to the slaves to the letter of the Ephesians. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That was a pretty good starting point. So here's a challenge. I don't know what conflict you got going on in your life. I really don't know. It, we're all common. We have shared mostly in the same conflicts. Uh, we just, the things that are common to men. You're struggling with your health. You're struggling with your finances. You're struggling with your family members, you're struggling with, I don't know, friends, you see, you, you, conflict, whatever it could be. And you're a Christian, and God needs you to be a servant. And, and here's, here's the conditions, and, and here's the admonition, and here's the description. And so, when we start here, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Number one, Wow. Do your actions or my actions or our actions look like that in our disagreements? In our attitude? In our language? In the way we talk about one another? The words that you say about anybody that calls themselves a Christian in your fellowship when somebody hears them, do they hear this? That person has more regard for th this other person than they do for themselves. Don't call yourself servant if you can't do that. Not my words, his words. This is a challenge. This is about doing the will of God. What did we just read? Now we're going to see it even more emphatically. But he says about these whole slave beings, these old, these old slave people, you serve as a slave, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. What kind of heart can a servant of God in the fear of Christ have when he, he can't, you, the way we think, speak, and act towards our brethren and, and it's obvious whether that language, that mindset, that attitude could be known as a humble mind, 
that is regarding one another as more important than himself. That's a standard, folks. But whose standard? Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. Again, so whatever I'm going through in life, and if, if yeah, in our elders meeting this last week, I read from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and it's some burdensome words. Let's just go there real quick, Luke chapter 6. Boy, this whole Christianity stuff. You know, it really has nothing to do with you and I. It has everything to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with others. But who are the others? Who are the others? Verse 26. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Cliff Notes. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. But I say to you, here's the religion of a Christian. But I say to you who hear, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. By the way, he didn't put interest in there, did he? But love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now back to Philippians chapter 2. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, also the interest of others. And then this is it right here. If you're not sure who he's talking about, here it is. Have the same attitude. And before I go any further, let me ask you this. Who's in charge of your attitude? Who's in charge of your attitude? You and only you. There's not another living soul, and, and there's not, unless you give power and control to them. There's not another living soul who's in charge of your attitude. You got a poor attitude, your fault. You got a bad attitude, your fault. 
You can't blame it on circumstances. You can't blame it on, and especially if you're a Christian. You got, your attitude isn't aligning with the attitude of Christ. Your fault. My fault. You, you and I, when you become a Christian, you give up your right to be offended. Have you ever thought about that? When you become a Christian, as a slave, you, a servant, you give up your right to be offended. If that's not, if you can interpret scripture any other way, please give, show me. It doesn't exist. Irregardless of how you approach the word. When you give me, I'm a Christian. I have admitted that I'm lost. I'm evil. I'm wicked. I need mercy. I've got to have your forgiveness. There's only one way to receive it, and that's to cry out. I've got to cry out, dear Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. And now moving forward as the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 5, we're a Christian. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. At that point, you and I have signed a contract, a spiritual contract with God that says, I no longer have the right to return evil for evil or insult. I no longer have the right to uh, uh, be offended. And if you can interpret your salvation in Christ in any other way, in, help me. I can't find it in Holy Red. So have this attitude in yourselves, just which was also in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, which was the weakest of all slaves. There were slaves, then there were slaves. <laughs> there were slaves that were no longer had any value to anybody. The, the, anybody that was in the business of buying and acquiring slaves, that bond servant was, uh, he, that's the ones that did, that's the, the late round draft picks or free agent signees, I and mean, that's even a weak illustration, but it's like, okay, I'm going to pay the bond on this guy. Nobody else will. He's probably worth this, but I can get something out of him. So that's who Jesus became like. A bond had to be paid for him. And in many cases, uh, that type of servant that a bond had to be paid for was somebody who had dishonored their master. You know, Jesus didn't do that, but he said, it said about him in the scripture that he became sin. Read it in Corinthians. Jesus became sin sin. Nowhere in scripture does it say when Jesus died that God turned his face from him. It's a misconception. It's not in scripture. When he sings the 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every member in that audience, all the, the Jews that had come to mock him as he was dying, they said, he's singing the 22nd Psalm. Read the whole 22nd Psalm. It's the story of the Christ. God didn't turn his back on him. You can't find that in scripture. God didn't. God literally, visually saw every single moment and second and molecule and atom and drop of blood flow out of his body for the sins of men. And he was consciously, spiritually, emotionally, physically aware of it as his son was brutalized dying on a cross. 
They said, well, God couldn't look upon sin. Again, you can't, it doesn't exist. He knew. This is my son. He's, he's, he's going to be crushed. And the writer of Isaiah said that God would even be pleased that he would be crushed. And we just read on the Sermon of the Mount that God is even kind. He's kind to the ungrateful and the, and the wicked. We have no concept, I don't think, of what real grace is. And we're the people of grace. And, and the admonition here is we're supposed to have the same attitude of Christ. And his attitude was evident. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You and I will never completely do the will of God until we understand what it is to become an obedient slave of Christ. That Christian walk is impenetrable. You cannot, you cannot defeat, defeat that Christian. That Christian cannot be defeated. You can conspire against him. Someone could conspire against him. You, 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 that Christian will never know defeat. Think about it. The Christian marriage, your Christian marriage. If both husband and wife are being servants, I'm not going to look out simply for myself. I'm going to look out for my wife. I'm going to regard her as more important than myself. I'm not going to look out just for, uh, you know, husband and wife, the same thing. That person that marriage is impenetrable because it's done in the fear of Christ. The two have become slaves to one another. The challenge. You say you want to do the will of God? Learn what obedience, the obedience to the point of death. Even death on a cross. How many things in your life are you being disobedient about? Now I'm serious. So we all struggle with that. I'm doing pretty good here. This is, um, uh, you know. But oh, I'm struggling with this. You know what it is? It's a lack of obedience. And you know what? The scripture says that you and I have to do with the errors that we're not obedient in. We have to put it to death. We've got to take it to the cross of Jesus Christ. My tongue isn't obedient. Why? Because you hadn't, it's not dead. My pride isn't, there's no obedience in my pride or my selfishness. Think about what Jesus did. He became obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Why? Because he understood the will of his father was for him to become the bondservant, slave. And the things that he did 
He did them to please his father. We always talk about him washing the feet of his men. I think the thing that was most riveting for me in my study of scripture is him trying to carry the cross. He tried. He tried to carry it. Down the Via Dolorosa, the, the, the path of blood. And he couldn't do it. And he collapsed under the weight of the cross. And so, the cross was carried, and, and they nailed him to the cross, and when they picked him up, they thumped him down into the hole that had been dug out for it, and for three hours he suffered. And in the three hours, the bondservant sang a hymn, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? He looked out and he saw John and his mother and he said, here's your mother and mother, here's your son. And he spoke to a criminal that was insulting him at one point. And now the criminal says, remember me as you come into your paradise. And he said, you'll be with me today. And then he said, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. And then he said the most glorious words in the darkest moment of his life as a bondservant. He said, it's finished. It's finished. We were at a funeral yesterday. And mostly funerals are really for the people that are attending and I think it was maybe the most inspiring funeral I've ever been a part of. The gentleman's 59 years old. I've known him for many, many years. And everything that was said, was said about him was true. It really was true, everything. Um, and it was a great soliloquy in his life. And the pastor said that his life, you know, our lives are supposed to be a letter of Christ. It says in the scripture that... It's our lives are supposed to be a letter of Christ that you can look at AY and say, by the way, her birthday was yesterday. But you could look at her and say, I see a letter of, of, of Christ. And, and this was the testimony of this guy. And he said over and over, he said, you know, he's more alive now than he's ever been. He's more alive now than he's ever been. And this man was a servant. He truly was. I wish that I could say that about all Christians. We struggle. I believe the servant reality is being grown in our life. But he said, but he's living life more now than he ever has. And it's, and you know why? Because a bond servant went to the cross, endured it, and he had, in his final breath, he could say, it's finished. Those are the most powerful words that ever spoken. What was finished? I'll tell you what was finished. The writ. The letter of the law that condemned you and I. Death. Where's your sting? 
It's amazing what a servant, a bondservant, did on the cross. How amazing would it be if you and I could be that obedient? Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, as we try to do your will, I pray that we just, you inspire us and you fill us with the knowledge and the power of your spirit to know what it is to be a bondservant, a slave. Remove whatever pride or selfishness or ego or whatever it is, whatever hindrance in our life that keeps us from humbling ourselves, not just to you, Father, but to one another. Please remove it. Help us to be the slave, the servant that you need us to be in the fear of your son, Father, in the fear of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.